0: Okay, I'm going to be reading from Proverbs 3, 21 to 32, and then 11, 10 to 11. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will, not, and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you, Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked it is overthrown. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Thank you, Father, for these proverbs, for these short, pithy sayings with wisdom from you. I pray that you will enlighten us further by Joel's words and give him exactly what you want him to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Maggie. In the state of Texas and in the American English dialect, there is a way to refer to other people in the plural. Uh, So instead of just saying you, like the second person singular, in Texas they say, y'all. See, look how you know. Okay, great. This uh, y'all has stuck, at least with me. If you spend any time in Texas, you pick it up. And it's such a helpful way to refer to others, uh, particularly others, you all in the plural, that it's hard to get rid of. Uh, For all of the things that I have left behind in the state of Texas, y'all is one of the things that at least has stuck with me. And I'm reminded uh, every time I use it uh, in a new setting. I bring that up because that you all this idea of including others and including all of them corporately is integral to wisdom you cannot live wisely without y'all not the word of course but the community the idea of others uh, something that goes not only beyond yourself and maybe beyond your partner, but the community that you are a part of. It is impossible to understand and live out, more importantly, wisdom for all that it means apart from a community and how you either choose to interact with them or choose not to. The book of Proverbs, if you're reading through time and time again in those discreet Pithy sayings are going to communicate things about friends, about a brother or sister, about neighbors, and what's in sight there is the yawl of community. It is the togetherness that when we say we worship God, when we say we want to live wisely and we want to live in ways that honor Him and recognize Him, that that necessarily is going to involve how we interact with others, how we treat our neighbor, how we care for people who we come into contact with in our everyday lives. Kids, whether you're in school, you have an opportunity to live wisely. Adults, whether you're in school or at work or in your neighborhood or in transit to one place or the other, the opportunity is there to walk in wisdom. And this morning, we're going to see that unpacked here in chapter 3. I'm going to take it up in three points. Walk in wisdom, live with wisdom, and the model of wisdom. So first, walking in wisdom. In verses 21 through 26, the way that Proverbs are being set up, and Pastor Dan last week in his sermon reminded us of this fact, that wisdom is more than just a set of things that you memorize. You can't memorize the basic facts of wisdom and then say, I'm wise. It just doesn't work that way. That's knowledge. And knowledge is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But wisdom is how you take the things that you know, particularly about God, and work them out in your everyday life. Now, the author of Proverbs is inviting you to see it that way here in the opening verses of 21 through 26. And so follow along with me. Now, he's doing it as if it's a father talking to his son. That's the framework of much of Proverbs. Basically, the older generation who presumably is wise passing on and teaching the younger generation in the hopes of them growing up to live wisely. And so that's how it gets framed up. It's not to make it gender specific. Rather, it's to give this sense that people who are wise, we hope that people who have lived life in our community are wise, at least in some ways. And that's part of the value that they're bringing to our community is to help us who are just walking through life to learn. So here's the framing. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound understanding or wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and an adornment for your neck. And catch this in verse 23. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do you catch the references there in walking and lying down and your foot not being caught, particularly in 23 and in 26? The author of Proverbs is using the metaphor of the journey of life, the walk of wisdom that we're all on. He's saying, uh, Look, it is fantastic if you have letters after your name, that's great. You can respect people who have letters after your name, but ask any nurse in healthcare if just because someone has DO or MD after their name, does that make them a great provider? Does that make them excellent in all that they do in medicine? And the answer is going to be no, not necessarily. It's not that the letters are bad. It's just that there's more to practicing healthcare and patient care than having the knowledge that those letters say you obtained. Rather, it's how you take that knowledge and work it out at the bedside and in the orders that you write, and it's how you help facilitate the whole healthcare team, the pharmacists and the therapists and the nursing staff to provide care. That's what the author of Proverbs is doing when he's trying to communicate, here's what wisdom looks like through the metaphor of a journey. It's not a matter of just having letters after our name or knowing facts. It's how we walk through life. It's when we are walking wisely in the day in and day out with one another that we have a sense that we're secure. Not perfectly secure, not that nothing goes bad, but rather that we can... uh, Faithfully take one step after the other as best we can. That's what wisdom looks like. It's a walk, it's a journey, it's the day in and day out of how you navigate the situations that you face. And so for us this morning, we can take kind of a self-dependent approach to the walk of life, how you go through the day-to-day of your life. You can say, listen, I've got the letters behind my name. I'm smart. I have gifts. I will figure it out. And there's lots of pressure to take up that example. But that in and of itself is quite a load. Here, the author of Proverbs frames up wisdom as something that is God-dependent. Last week, Dan, when he talked about wisdom in his definition, it's the fear of the Lord that's a starting point. It's this idea that we are more than just ourselves. We are part of a community. And even more importantly, we live in God's world. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. He is our sustainer. And so when you think about wisdom, if you've bought the journey and walk metaphor, then do it in such a way that it's dependent upon God himself. That's how we walk forward each day. It is an act of faith. Faith, to be clear, is not just something that you profess, like Karis and Allie and Iris did this morning, on Sunday mornings and Sunday mornings alone. Faith is what it looks like to walk wisely, day in and day out. I think that's the drift of verse 26. For the Lord... Notice they're all caps. The covenant God, the one who gave you his promises, the one who not only made you, but has redeemed you from the reality of sin. That God is the one when you lay down to sleep and you're most powerless, when you can't possibly watch over yourself. It is the Lord that will be our confidence. It is the Lord. That keeps our foot from ultimately slipping in the walk of life. Wisdom is a walk through life with the Lord. And so that is how the Proverbs frames it up. Now, there's this flip to verse 27, and there's. Other than the structure in the original text, it's almost like it just kind of keeps going. So there's not much to indicate. It's as if this walk of wisdom now involves y'all. He's going to get into the y'all of how this looks played out. And he does it in a series of five prohibitions, like five commands, do not. Okay? Uh, And they all involve y'all. They're not things that you can do alone. It's how you're going to relate to others. I think this is where... The book of Proverbs, I mean, this is just one example because if you're reading through, you're going to see it over and over and over again. It's this idea that that walk just can never be done in isolation. You may think that you're self-dependent, but in a God-dependent world, you're not only leaning on him, but you're engaging with one another. And so the Proverbs are giving us instruction on how to engage with one another wisely. In verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. We oftentimes think about this as the giving of money because that's the currency that is most in play. But Trimper Longman, an Old Testament theologian and author, makes this note in his writing on Proverbs. Quote, the identity of the good, in verse 27, is not made clear. It's not specified. It's just the good. Could be money, could be a tool, could be a certain type of expertise, could be physical aid. The list could go on. I'll add to it. It could be child care for a friend who's in need or just for a couple to have some time to spend together. It could be a ride to the airport, a mark that Uh, While you could use public transportation or rideshare services, having someone in your life close enough to be able to ask, to commit to an act of friendship, that's wisdom. Could be a few hours of your time to help complete a project or a few minutes of your time to listen to someone in need. Sisters and brothers, living wisely takes place in community. And the sense here is that when we live in community, we begin to know one another to the point where we're willing to give of ourselves. If it's within our power to give it, we give it. That's that's not a natural practice in our day and age. That's something that you're going to have to grow to begin to practice on your walk. You're going to have to grow your ears to be able to listen for when someone is in need. Because in our cultural moment, people aren't often comfortable saying, I need help. It's like there's no other phrase they're more allergic to than just say, hey, I need help. I mean, you may occasionally hear it, but my neighbors more oftentimes say it in much more coded ways. And so, It's almost like you have to grow your ears to be able to hear, wait, is something going on here? Okay, I should ask some more questions and invite someone in. Maybe I should take a few minutes and listen. That is what walking in wisdom is, so verse 27 tells us. Verse 28 it's related. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow, I will give it. When you have it with you to give. Don't stiff-arm people. Don't show them the Heisman pose. If you can help them, help them. Don't just push them off and, uh, you know, uh, uh, move some things around so that they work in your favor. If you can help people, you help them. Verse 29. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Don't plot and scheme. Live at peace. Verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Don't accuse someone. Don't stir the pot. Don't like the drama so much that you're willing to uh, just jump into it with someone because that gives you some sense of excitement today. That is living foolishly. Proverbs would lead us to understand. The walk of wisdom is one that enjoys and appreciates peace, doesn't have to go pot stirring, doesn't need the drama, can live each day for its own. One quick note about this. This isn't a direct prohibition against all accusations. If someone has done wrong, if there's a legitimate wrongdoing, then accusations are entirely appropriate. It's really important to see the do not accuse a neighbor or a brother or a friend connected to without reason, right? Right? What they're talking about here is not legitimate things that need to be addressed within a community, but rather pot-stirring, drama-building, the excitement that comes with conflict. Verse 31, Do not envy a man or person of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence." Living with wisdom is one that resists the temptation toward uh, outcomes at all costs, right? The ends always justify the means. Uh, power can be wielded to get success. Proverbs and living or walking wisely would just give us some pause about looking at people who suggest that the ends always justify the means with skepticism, Not envying them, not appreciating what they can get done, but realizing that that's not the walk of wisdom. That's foolishness. And at worst, so the follow-on verse tells us, that's just evil. That is the reality that wisdom plays out in our lives. That there is a way to go about how you function in the day-to-day that involves a walk of wisdom, Or a set of decisions that leads you down foolishness or at its worst, evil. And again and again and again, Proverbs is not trying to give you the perfect algorithm for how you make every decision in life. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. But rather, it's trying to frame up for you, give you some structure so that as you navigate navigate every gray situation, as you navigate every difficult relationship, and here specifically in this text, as you relate to your neighbor, you have some guidelines, some sense of pillars that function to keep you walking in the way of wisdom and avoiding falling to the side of foolishness or worse, evil. Now, in hearing all of this, right, you, whether you are coming to Proverbs for the first time, whether you are just exploring Christian faith, uh, I recognize that there may be some opposition to this type of living. You may say, Joel, that's great that that's what wisdom is, but do you realize what it's actually asking for, what this may look like in my life day to day? Those are fair questions, right? Right? You're not saying them out loud. Maybe they'll come out in Q&A. But I'm just going to guess that there are some of you here now who are saying, wait, but what if someone doesn't deserve it? Do I still have to give to them when they ask and it's within my power to do it? Wait, are you saying that I have to use my hard-earned time and energy, money, tools, things that I can help people with to people and I may not get anything in return? They may not be able to give me anything back. Wait, Joel, what if by the use of power and maybe just a little bit of scheming and maybe just a little bit of violence, we can accomplish something that is worth a greater good? Then isn't it worth it? These questions are things that I think are legitimate for us to at least work through. And as I wrestle with Proverbs, and I hope that you do too, part of why we're reading through them as a church is so that you're not coming to these kind of Proverbs about how to relate to your neighbors or friends or others for the first time, but, but you're working through them. Ideally, on January 3rd, you would have already read this. And so if we're going over things that you've already read, but if not, that's okay too. These questions are going to come up and we have to work through them because remember, we're kind of setting the markers for our journey of walking wisely. Part of how we think through these questions is to understand, going back to last week's sermon and to the opening of Proverbs, that we walk wisely in fear of the Lord. That is, we think through how do I react in a particular situation, if it's not just merely self dependent, but dependent on God, then He gets to shape how we respond. He has a say in our lives. If, as verse 26 is said, God is our confidence, that it is uh, the Lord who ultimately keeps our foot from slipping, then that gives us a sense of direction. But more than that, the broader story of God's redemption in our lives is filled with God himself loving and treating us with goodness and kindness. It is God himself entering in in our moment of deepest need. It is God coming near and answering these questions with a model of what wisdom looks like when he sent wisdom incarnate. When Jesus takes on humanity and enters into our world, he begins to give not only this broad command that sets up broad uh, markers for how to walk wisely, but a living, breathing model of this type of neighbor love and care. Athanasius, a fourth century church leader, wrote in the Incarnation of the Word, here's a quote. You know how it is when some great king enters a large city and dwells in one of its houses? Because of the king's dwelling in that single house, the whole city is honored, and enemies and robbers cease to molest it. Even so, is it with the king at all? He has come into our country and dwelt in one body amidst the many. And in consequences, the designs of the enemy against humanity have been foiled, and the corruption of death which formerly held them in its power has simply ceased to be. Athanasius is alluding to God's model of wisdom in the sending of his son Jesus to map out the road for us, to walk in front of us, The king has entered into our home when we didn't deserve it. That question of, well, what if somebody doesn't deserve it? You didn't deserve it. When Jesus left, not being equal with God, something to be desired, but something that he had. And in love for you, he gave it up to take on humanity to the point of death so that you can live. Not because you deserved it, but because God loves you. And that becomes our model for wisdom, for how we think about others, those created in his image. We think about ways to engage and care for them. The king gave up his life, not because you could give him something in return. You couldn't. That's not how grace works. So, when we give to those, it's not a quid pro quo. It's not entering them into a debt. It's not giving them a marker that we're going to call back later, but rather it's an opportunity to follow in the king's footsteps who has come to dwell with you and I. We have that privilege. And so, that's what we're taking on and the model that we follow when we move ahead. The king did not take up the sword. Jesus, in accomplishing our freedom from the enslavement of sin, when Jesus accomplished victory over death, he did it by sacrificing himself, not through the means of power to achieve it through violence, but giving up his life for us. That has been the Christian model of engagement. Most recently, best demonstrated through the Christians in the civil rights movement, who didn't try uh, to take up violence in the face of injustice, but rather chose to walk the way of wisdom. Even when it came a great sacrifice, when you read the writings, not just the most famous speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King and other leaders of the civil rights movement, what you see is that time and time again, the strength that it draws to sacrifice yourself, that's no easy thing to do. It constantly involved prayer in the walk of wisdom and the following of the pattern of the king who had come to dwell so richly with them. That is our calling as the church. Part of why we're Mosaic Community Church is a reminder that there is a y'all involved with our walk of wisdom right here in Montgomery County. Part of why we have people in our core values of people, placed in Christ is the reminder that your faith, while true, should be active and you should be growing and working through individual things. For sure. It also involves a working that out in relationship to one another. Praise be to God. That the king has come to dwell with us. That as Athanasius said, that the king has foiled the corruption of death and its power. And that the king brings us honor. Our Lord and Savior, we can love and follow in the wisdom of life. Let's do that together as a church. Let me pray. God, I ask that you will watch over us. And that whether it's through things like the women's retreat or community groups here on Sunday morning's worship or just in the day-to-day life when we reach out to one another, God, I pray that you will help us to walk together in community wisely. Give us the strength to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.